Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because today we are joined by a longtime guest host, first-time guest. He's a fantastic writer and an avid fan of pop culture, which makes him the perfect guest for today's topic. We're delighted to welcome JB back to the podcast. Welcome, JB. Yeah, welcome, JB. Hey, guys. Hey, it's good to have you. Hey, Jude. How's it going? Okay, I'm. hold on. I'm going to start right off the top and say <laughs> thank you so much for filling in for me. I, and I know I've told you that before, but I'm going to make sure it's on pod. Thank you so much for filling in for me when when that situation came up. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm happy to to repeat what we what I said before that it was 100% a pleasure and and so much more um so so much easier, you know. I mean, I was I think a lot of people get nervous about little even things like this and uh, I was very nervous that that time. I mean, it was a little bit uh last minute too. Like I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare. No, it was um, last minute. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's to say, it would, like it was did us and me is such a huge favor. I really appreciate that. It's just such a great like the atmosphere that you guys create. Even Trey created just made me feel comfortable right away. So it was it was one hundred percent my pleasure. And like I said, oh, yeah. the only thing that was missing from that day was Jude. <laughs> yeah I, for us I'm to compliment so... each other and for me to uh and to check my comic book knowledge <laughs> oh yeah 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 i'm i'm so excited to finally make this meeting happen you know i i feel bad because <laughs> you talked about how you didn't have much of a, a runway up to that episode and then we gave you the world's longest runway since your last appearance for this one uh so it has been a long time coming uh but we're, we're delighted to have you back i'm just happy to be here super mm-hmm. happy to be yeah here. Well, and for those who don't remember, uh, we had you on just over a year ago to kind of give us an introduction to the Moon Knight character. And this was like way before we had any trailers or inkling of who was going to be involved in the show. Uh, So I kind of wanted to follow up just a little bit with what you thought of that first Moon Knight trailer. (laughs) (laughs) That right there. That's all I need to know. (laughs) Let's just cut it right there. (laughs) <laughs> well, I like to thank Nick Sandy for yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean it was it was everything I could have possibly hoped for. I mean, I, I there's you know I won't go beat by beat, obviously, because that mm-hmm. could be like a whole other podcast just talking about the trailer. Um, but the the hallway beatdown scene and mm-hmm. the fact that that does not look like a human being that he's beating up. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the was probably the most exciting part because we talked a lot about getting into the supernatural realm, like the Marvel supernatural stuff. Yeah, and uh, that seemed to me like the biggest clue that that's going to happen in Moon Knight. And I guess the the costume too was, was sort of a clue as well. But you never know is that you know is he is imagining that is that real or not? But yeah, I was very happy. <laughs> <for that trip. laughs> Don't think I could have been happier. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, and, and I think the thing we talked about, uh, Trey and I, was just how cinematic it looked, especially compared to the other Disney Plus shows. You know, it just it it felt like a different a different level, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's way darker. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, visually, I think you know yeah. even than anything yeah. that's been on D Plus so far, mm-hmm. um, and which is you know perfectly suited to the character. And even even when he's wearing a bright white suit. <laughs> It just mm-hmm. oh, the, yeah. the darkness of the subject matter was reflected in the cinematography, which is I just I just cannot wait 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes me so happy to hear that you are enjoying it because I remember you talking about how much that character meant to you. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad we got to get that follow-up. Probably my second favorite street-level character, I would say, after Daredevil. Oh, nice. Nice. So yeah, of course, if you'd like to keep up with more of JB, make sure you're following him on Instagram, at JBLoveSAV. Uh, I know you got a lot of great work going on right now with some screenwriting stuff, so uh, that is a great place to keep tuned uh, for any further notes with that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Trey has been kind enough to actually read and give notes on on pilots, and uh, and they were wonderful notes, in fact. Oh, I man, really appreciate I'm that. so thankful for the opportunity. That was really cool to, to get into that. But yeah. Well, if you downloaded this episode, then you know we're going to be talking about when did Marvel fix its villain problem? Uh, the way we're going to do this is we're going to start with this question, which I think will help set the stage for what we're looking at when it comes to villains uh, as we get into this question. So, JB, starting with you, <laughs> what makes a good villain? So I, I think it's it's going to come down to a matter of opinion because the very first thing I thought about when when I looked at, at that question was how do we define a villain? Mm-hmm. And I think different people probably like different kinds of villains. I, I, I pretty much uh, split it into two camps, which in my notes I just categorized as uh, sympathetic villains and unsympathetic villains. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And I like the delineation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it's the only way I could kind of wrap my head around it, honestly, at least in terms of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And personally, I like unsympathetic villains. I like a villain that you can see their justification, but that you don't, you're not really led to buy it. And when we get to my favorite villain, I can talk about that a little bit more. I like that tease. Yeah. Nice. I really like that a lot. That's a, that's a cool way to look at it. What about you, Jude? Similar to JP. I, as I think about that question, my categorization, I guess, was there's the villain that's like clearly in in like Jungian terms, the shadow, like, like, oh, that's just our hero, but, you know, gone wrong. Love that. Mm -hmm. But then there's the villain who, like you said, we can see that justification that you can... It's more of a opposing philosophical views and, and you're seeing them battle it out that way. So those are the two kind of categories that I, that I have. I don't know which one I could say I like more though, only cause like the, the first one there is, and, and I even tell my students this, there's this trend of like, there's certain things that are very just you know who's good, you know who's bad, and you just watch and enjoy. And then more recently, when I say recently, I mean, like, not within the past 10 years, like, say the past 20, 25, you know, 20 years, right? They were like 2000 to now, which is so weird to say it that way. <laughs> now that I think about it. But but, but in other words, you, we start finding more morally complex villains. You know, I think of, like, Game of Thrones Think of well, Breaking Bad, Dexter, Walking Dead, even some stuff in the MCU where it's like, like you are not pure evil or, you know, kind of I dominate the world. It's more about philosophical principle and, and do, and it might be a means problem, but you don't really disagree with, 
you know, so so I do see that and find that interesting a shift in how villains are have become more complex. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know if I if I have a preference. I definitely. I said I pref- you know I like I said that I, I think my quote was that I like unsympathetic villains, but I I like sympathetic villains as well. But if mm-hmm. I'm forced to choose, do you know what I mean? Right. But but even right. like you like a you know the the age of the mustache twirler <laughs> is kind of gone, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. cool. Like you know, even an unsympathetic villain should have some kind of relatable justification. I think mm-hmm. you don't have mm-hmm. to buy into that justification. Right, yeah, but you, I think it's 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 there's more depth to it to at least be able to say, well, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that has definitely been the hallmark, uh, uh, or at least a commonality between some of the most praised villains in the MCU is that being able to look at and understand why it is they're doing the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Which I think, like, just to to come in and answer on this question, uh, I I kind of broke it down to three broad archetypes that I, I that I personally enjoy and think make a good villain. There will always be exceptions to the rules, but I think these are kind of the key things. And the first one for me, I think uh, villains are the manifestation of the problem that the protagonist is facing. Uh, so we talked about it whenever we did our Winter Soldier, how our Winter Soldier coverage, how you know, Bucky is the problem in a nutshell for Steve Rogers. Like he is the ideals of the past stuck in a modern setting that has been warped, which is what Rogers is going through in that movie. You can see it also in uh, He Who Remains from Loki. For me, He Who Remains is the embodiment of futility, which is exactly what Loki and Sylvia are going throughout the entirety of that show. Uh, So that's one. so cool. Thank you. That is one of the broad strokes. Uh, The second one for me uh, villains are the failed version of the trial that the protagonist is going through. So you can look at Obadiah Stane is the person who could not give up the lust for power and making money off those weapons, which is exactly what Tony is able to reconcile by the end of that movie. Uh, or Winwu. Uh, mm-hmm. Winwu wasn't able to escape the allure of the rings, whereas Shang-Chi was. And finally... Uh, Villains, I think, are also at their best when they are doing the wrong things with understandable reasons. Killmonger, I think, is one of the most famous examples that we have where he has a goal that on paper is, you know, you know, equity for more people, which is a laudable cause. But the extremes at which he goes through is obviously what makes him a villain. And Vulture, I think, would be another example of that as well. He's somebody who is just trying to make a living after the unfairness at which the people who cause the problem are also making the money off fixing the problem as well. And so you can understand why he does what he does. Uh, so those mm-hmm. three archetypes, I think, are what make a good villain, uh, at least for what I'm looking for in the MCU. Love that. Thanks. So, I'm going to disagree with you at some point. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm, yeah. When we get to my favorite villain, which I, I realize I keep teasing that, but I don't want to jump ahead. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just a question of do we buy that justification? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that there are villains where you can you can you can sympathize. This is why I say sympathetic and unsympathetic. I think there are villains where you can sympathize with them. You can completely agree that their um, their methods are, are terrible. Mm-hmm. I actually think um, Killmonger is one of those people that you can strongly sympathize with, mm-hmm. uh, but he just does so much terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But sometimes I think it's just an excuse <laughs> for mm-hmm. a character that is just, you know, f- uh, so deeply flawed that they cause more trouble than, you know, than, than create good. Mm-hmm. And they don't really care, you know. Yeah. I like the fact of a, a moral spectrum where, you know, most of us fall in the middle, but they're like, there are extreme ends. You know, there are mm-hmm. extremely virtuous people and people that you could very convincingly argue are evil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you uh, see, but you it use is the word, a spectrum for sure. Yeah. Well, you use the word virtuous, and I, I would say, use the word vicious, on oh. on the other end of that spectrum. That's yeah. That's nice. So yeah. Well, I am definitely curious for the disagreement whenever we get to that. Uh, <laughs> so let's go ahead and move into the next section of our outline. You know, in in terms of of villainy. The MCU, I think, has infamously had a problem with its villains, where they were always one note uh, or something that wasn't worth writing home about whenever the movies would debut. So we're going to tackle the question today, when did Marvel fix its villain problem, if at all? Uh, So Jude, I'm going to throw to you this time. When did you think Marvel fixed it? Um, That's interesting. (laughs) <laughs> uh well and the only reason why i say that is because like just listening to all of what we just said mm-hmm. um no i'm not going to derail this but like but I'll, I'll... <laughs> well well my my thought was like did marvel really have a villain problem i don't know if they did yeah i would just just to back you up like i think uh i i sort of wanted to get more clarification on what that question means to you Trey mm-hmm. because I have I definitely like have my interpretation of what that question is well and, but and, it might be different and, well I'll say like I know what it meant and going into the pod right and and I'm, and I'm with Trey on the whole the idea of one note one one dimensional not a lot of depth but but thinking about what all of us said and that idea, you know, to use JB's words, the 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 mustache twirling, going away. Thinking about all that made me question: is like, okay, wait, was it really a villain problem, or was it part of that involvement of of content and the audience, what the audience wants out of the content? And it's like, no, these would have been perfectly fine villains if we all accepted just the mustache twirling villain, you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, not trying to destroy the premise of, <laughs> of, of the plot of the pitch, but, but just, yeah, but, I, but just I'm listening. I'm not either, hopefully. No, 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 no. <laughs> but just listening to the opening of the conversation and thinking about, okay, in that context, when did they solve the villain problem? You, you know, uh, the one-dimensionalness and getting away from that, man, honestly, I would have to say that doesn't happen until homecoming mm-hmm. in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, which is what? One, two, three, the fourth movie in phase three, which is also interesting. Yes. Cause I think, I think some people had problems with vulture. I didn't, but just with, with the, the conversations we just had in mind and thinking about what, what that means. Yeah, I mean, I think it could, uh, I would definitely have an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But like you, I think it's like, it it is like, like there's an even deeper explanation behind the mustache twirlers, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. why the villains weren't compelling enough or, because I think that was like how it sort of hit me. Like, you know, when did we get to a point where we were as interested in the villain? 
as we were in the hero, mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to, oh, this, this guy is just an obstacle for the hero to get past. You know? mm-hmm. And definitely in those early movies, there's a lot of just obstacle villains. Yes. Yeah. So I get like just to, to respond, because uh, you were asking about what that meant to me. Iron Man, I think, is is responsible for obviously a lot of the MCU, but we hit some pretty rough patches before things started getting a more smooth ground. Uh, Incredible Hulk, you know, abomination. Not I mean, I I've always had a soft spot, not necessarily the most complex villain. Iron Man 2. I think Jude and I mm. toured that movie mm. to shreds uh, when it yeah. comes to it. That's where I keep going in my head when we talk about mustache twirlers and bad villains. Like, yeah. I keep mm-hmm. going back to Whiplash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Malekith. Yeah. Like, I, I think the, the MCU has yep. had a very staggered history when it comes to, to the villains. And Jude, I, I'm fascinated by your response because I never thought about what it would be. I never thought about it as a shift in the cultural reception of wanting more complex villains like that um, and attributing the shift within the MCU. Because, again, this is a large span of time. It makes sense that what the audience is expecting would change, you know, within that time frame. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that that's been giving me something new to think about as well. But uh, I I just wanted to make sure I jumped in and and answered your question, JB, to kind of solidify where I'm at uh, as far as the question on the outline goes. Well, and, and as we keep going, I probably could make a, a decent argument for Iron Man 3 as well as, as in, the, in, the, in the phrasing we're using, uh, not fixing the villain problem, but, but taking a step in that direction. Mm-hmm. As, as far Iron Man 3 being the where they fixed it or? Uh, I would say taking a step in that direction not necessarily where it was fixed at at least to my mind of of the context we're using it and stuff Mm -hmm. because if you think about the setup with um aldridge right and the uh, i know it's not a lot of people's favorites i know we love it um (laughs) but but if you think about the motivation and the setup of that rock bottom of despair you get in the beginning and then what that drives them to there it's you get a little bit more solid motivation than just the mustache twirling kind kind of thing mm-hmm. but i i don't think though because of the extent it goes that's why i would settle on homecoming and vulture over uh, aldrich killian mm-hmm. so jb i you see i'm an- I would, uh, I'm an, uh, just going to agree with with you guys that I'm actually an Iron Man three apologist. <laughs> oh, you came to the right place. Oh man, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of like in that. Lot I like in that movie. Yeah, I think uh, that was one of our most like highly praised entries in the MCU on this podcast that we recorded because it was just a mm-hmm. glowing review the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I knew we were in good company. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I was. I was going to throw to you, JB. I know uh, you asked for clarification on the question and responded a little bit to Jude, but I want to make sure to give you the the spotlight here. Uh, where did you think Marvel fixed it, if at all? So actually, I would go a little earlier, but I want to make a point about that I think ties into everything that we've been talking about. And it's something that I kept thinking about when I was thinking about these quote-unquote bad villains or, or unimpressive or not compelling villains. One one of the things that Marvel did a lot early on was there's a villain behind the villain, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the primary obstacle villain in the film is not the biggest threat. 
Like they're actually like, you know, Whiplash is just being manipulated by uh, Hammer. Really, so Justin Hammer is really the villain of that mm-hmm. piece. But like, Whiplash presents as the villain of, of Iron Man Two. Right. right. And then you get in three, and Killian is sort of in the background. Even though, like, the reason that I love that movie is because of it is very much man versus self. It is very much you know mm-hmm. Tony dealing with PTSD from yeah. you know nearly dying yeah. <laughs> in Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the reasons I like that movie so much is it grounds the events of Avengers in a big big way. Yeah, oh, by yeah. having Tony deal with it, not like a comic book superhero would, where you generally just move on to the next you know. Uh, plot device or the next you know, crisis it it dealt with the events of avengers the way a human being would mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think like you know there are definitely flaws in that movie but that's one of the great great things about it is i think it was maybe the first movie to really to to sort of merge the street level and the you know cosmic level mm-hmm. where and that was the greatness of the early marvel comics right is you know you had the very realistic human reactions to these big events. Oh yeah. Like they had real problems and the whole point of putting them in New York rather than, uh, and this isn't a knock on DC, but rather than creating a city like Gotham or Metropolis that Marvel intentionally wanted it in yeah. something people were familiar with. But yeah, to, so to get back to the question sort of on the same track is, is, um, we have the villain behind the villain, like several times in a row, like where, you know, uh, even Trevor Slattery, you know, we think he's the Mandarin. Well, he's not. There's a villain behind him. We get to Loki and Avengers. And to me, that I think, I think Loki in Avengers is a great villain. And I think it's because of, we haven't, we haven't delved into Loki yet. Like the turn has not happened. Loki has not become a complete individual, at least to me mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Like the Avengers was one of the movies that I rewatched and, and uh, Natasha says, and it's a strong point. She says he killed 80 people in two days. Mm-hmm. Like that. He was a straight up villain. Yeah. <laughs> in Avengers. Yeah. You know, and you, you sort of have to scrub all of, the stuff you know about Loki that happened after that, when you think about that movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was really sort of enlightening watching it again and forgetting his turn and forgetting the events of the Loki TV show. Mm-hmm. He's savage. He kills a lot of people. He does a lot of harm in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to like go out on that limb with you, whenever I made the promo for our social media, asking what, who was everyone's favorite villain, I've anticipated getting some pushback by including Loki because, I, like you said, he's had this turn. He's become like a fan favorite. So anticipating that, I specifically used the scene where he is gouging that person's eye for the access yeah, cards right? mm-hmm. because that is a pretty quick way to remind people he was a villain with a capital V. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. He's that's not That is not the Loki of Loki. And that's what's so great about the show, Loki, too, is they don't shy away from that. Mm-hmm. They force mm-hmm. him... To really look hard at the events of his past, and that the one of the things that I did love about that show was the fact that they they addressed that problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. even in Avengers, Loki is the villain in front of the greater villain. He's working for Thanos. Yeah, we don't really know that, but I mean, it's it it is still, and this is sort of to to Jude's point, 
where he's still not even the primary threat. Mm-hmm. He's still a villain, in, he's still the villain in the public with the greater villain lurking in the shadows behind him. Mm-hmm. And that might be, I think, part of the villain problem that we discuss in the actual, you know, like thesis question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, okay. With that in mind, would we say the same thing of Captain America? First Avenger? As mm-hmm. far as being a villain in front of a villain problem? It, well, it's like, sort of, it's interesting. I would okay. Say. Cause, cause there's the, the villain in front of a villain. If, if you think about it, where you have red skull, but because it's world war two, because you have the Nazis, Right. And then you have Red Skull, who is worse. You you kind of have a two villain dynamic, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the larger threat is the one that's up front. Yeah, and and that Red Skull is is someone I wanted to talk about uh, when we get to misused villains mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or underused villains, because mm-hmm. I think and it's it's exactly what you just said. Well, cool. Let's put a pin on that one because I'm really interested to hear that. That thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to respond because I'm I'm thinking a lot more about your villain behind the villain. It really is, I think, a blueprint that the MCU held onto because I mean, Iron Man. It was the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. They were the original mm-hmm. one, the threat that captured Tony, and then we saw it was Obadiah Stane who was the one that had put the hit on it specifically. So that mm-hmm. has been from the beginning something that the the MCU has been uh, playing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would make the point that that is a cinematic thing that comes more from sort of action and, and intrigue and crime movies mm-hmm. than it does from comic books. Because most of the time, and maybe modern comic books might like sort of use it more, but the comics that I grew up in, pretty much the villain that was featured was the primary for villainous force. You know, if Spider-Man was fighting. The shocker, the shocker was the threat for that comic book. There usually wasn't working for any greater force. Mm-hmm. And that the that's I mean, I think it's it's a great it's a cool and kind of like more sophisticated way of framing good versus evil. Yeah. And villainy. Um but you can also make the argument that it was either overused or stretched out too far and it became part of this villain problem that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many? What, what, how long was it when they first teased Thanos before we actually saw Thanos? Right? Like, how many movies was that? Uh, okay, was... wait. When you say actually saw Thanos, hmm. do you mean Infinity War? And the only reason why I say that is because he he did show up in Guardians of the Galaxy, but he didn't do anything but like sit in the chair and be menacing. So I'm talking about the the space between the the end credit sequence of Avengers, right, and Infinity War. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, but how but, long is that tease, right? Yeah. So that's what, uh, and I I have the list up. So May 2012 to April 2018. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a long time to tease your big bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's stretched, yeah. and I think that stretch is part of the problem that we're addressing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, just to understand you a little bit clearer, are you advocating it should have there should have been more appearances in the in- interim? I think that would have been one way to handle it. Mm-hmm. E- either either not showing him at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are different sort of like 
you know, literary tricks that they could have used that could have talked about him, you know, it's kind of like a, um, I can't think of a really good sort of classic literature. Maybe you can help me out, Jude, but mm. where the, where the, the, the primary villainous force is, you know, spoken about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the person that the villain is afraid of, you know, like that, that sort of arc. Oh, the mm-hmm. person that the villain is afraid of. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what? There, there's, that was used, uh, in usual suspects a little bit mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, you get that in, I was trying to think of like heart, heart of darkness. It's been so long since I read heart of darkness, but like, mm-hmm. you know, they reference Kurtz long before you meet him. Yeah. And he's, he's built up to be a threat just by other characters, like talking about him yeah. essentially Yeah. before you ever actually come face to face with Kurtz. And it's a little bit an apocalypse now too, but yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, but, not, but yeah, not I, I know, I know what you're doing. Like, um, Netf- I would say Netflix daredevil tried that with, mm. um, you know, we don't use his name. You saw Wesley so much before you actually got Fisk, uh, Harry Potter. I actually thought that worked. Pretty yeah, well. yeah, me too. Yeah, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, because because you had the whole he who must not be named, and Voldemort didn't really show up until book four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, that's maybe, a great example. Maybe two with the Tom Riddle thing, but but it, it wasn't truly. You know, he was there was still something behind it. So yeah, mm-hmm. would uh would Lord of the Rings fit into this as well? I mean, Sauron, I mean, doesn't make much of an appearance aside from that opening sequence yeah Mm -hmm. i think that's pretty good analogy Mm -hmm. too it's something that's only kind of uh, alluded to as like this menacing force that never actually comes to fruition Mm -hmm. especially if you don't consider the eye of sauron to be the you know the physical revelation of of sauron Mm -hmm. right like yeah that's a great and that's a sort of different kind of a trick that works really mm-hmm. well in Lord of the Rings. The Eye of Sauron itself is menacing and yeah. you know when the the it, it's a promise of an evil to come and, and to and it's built really well in the context of that trilogy. Mm-hmm. When you finally, you know, it's it uh, and I, Harry Potter's a great example too. Like those mm-hmm. are both really good examples. And I you know I think if if one of the problems that we're talking about, you know, the villain problem as as I think that it's that they just there was too it was just stretched for too long mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i've always found it interesting when everybody talks because don't get me wrong I, I perfectly clear i love thanos i think he's an excellent villain oh yeah but yeah. one of the things people cite is the lead up to him but i think you're perfectly right it's like did we really have that much of a lead up aside from like three or four scenes mm-hmm. and you can argue too that his his the mo- his motivations changed mm-hmm. because in that first tease Right, the line is like, if you if you combat humanity, you court death. Mm-hmm. It's something like that, and you see Thanos turn around and smile, which is based on his his motivations in the comics, which are probably a little like more difficult to to describe, maybe yeah. even in a cinematic context. But it works in the comics because death is actually personified. There's mm-hmm. like a cloaked skeleton figure that Thanos is literally in love with. And I actually really loved that as a comics reader growing up that like it was, 
Thanos's evil came from a love story. Mm-hmm, it did. He loved death so much that he was willing to slaughter all to, to become this genocidal force of destruction. Yeah. And I actually like as much as I do like uh, Infinity Saga Thanos. There, a little bit of that is missing. Mm-hmm. A little bit of that complexity that came with loving the concept of death is missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what? And okay, so I'm going to push back on all that real quick. Um, cool. And in that, the whole concept of like that looming threat that you don't know or don't see, and it, like Marvel did that to to us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like by like you say, you stretch out too long, or we should have seen more of it. I I'm wondering because of the anticipation that they built up in in the fandom and the audience of like, Oh, when is it going to happen? Is it here? What are we going to see him next? And when's the next stone and, and creating all of that, uh, over time, you know? So, so it, it was almost like they like to go back to Harry Potter, like they made us the fans of the audience, like the kids at Hogwarts, Right, that had this fear of this, and that it's menacing, and it's going to be this, and when it happens, you know, rather than for the characters, and so I, I think that's all that might, and so in doing that, that's what helped build, um, such an uh, an excitement to finally get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's like as a trick. I think it's great, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's you can argue that it's it's done better in like Lord of the Rings or mm-hmm. uh, Harry Potter. And it's really, I may be overstating the point because we're, I'm sort of, we're specifically talking about Thanos, but it is, it is the idea of the villain behind the villain repeated over and over and over where the well, primary well, yeah. threat has got someone more like you know, we're talking about Iron Man two and, and Iron Man three and yeah. uh, guardians where Ronan is, you know, he's just working for Thanos and, and mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, well, and and it's interesting though, because because like when you say yeah, we're just talking about Thanos, but at some point in the MCU, we reach a point where all these little individual movies, because of the Infinity Stones, we know we're building to that. You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and so he, so I don't think it's unfair to say that we're just talking about Thanos because that's who it is. Like that is the the culmination. I mean, it certainly pays off. You know what I mean? Like, you can like the weight pays off, Mm -hmm. but it it might have just been you know there might have just like there could have been maybe a little bit more a little bit better build up or more more I don't know. I mean, I haven't watched Guardians in a while, and I don't really remember how. I mean, I know Thanos has played up a lot in Guardians just because you've got Gamora talking about him and 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 Ronan really beautifully played and you understand that Ronan Ronan himself is 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 like a pretty big threat he's, right. he's a serious villain and is you know as menacing as Ronan is like he's just working for a guy who's even more menacing so I, the guardians i think is one of the points where they do a good job of reminding us that like Thanos is coming mm-hmm. you know? yeah well but you it- can sort of even Sorry, good. No, you could finish your thought. Well, I was going to branch off just a little bit, but I, but you can sort of you can see that idea repeated in WandaVision, 
with the Mephisto stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because we were all like, okay, who's the real threat? You know? Mm-hmm. Nobody was really, everybody, people were sort of looking at Agatha, but I think a lot of people were like, who's the threat behind Agatha? And mm-hmm. we were impatient mm-hmm. to yeah. get to what that bigger threat was. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and the only thing I was going to say about Ronan is he, in my mind, he is the more traditional mustache twirly hmm. thing. I didn't, like, find him that complex. It's just, hey, I yeah. I don't like you people, and so I'm going to get rid of you. I, you know. Yeah. Um, and he was sort of, I would, I put him in the underused category as well. Yeah. Especially considering the just he has so much history in the comics mm-hmm. you know, in the comics he's his own separate threat from thanos he really like ronan's coming is a big enough problem to deal with whereas in guardians he he, he almost he feels like uh thanos's emissary and i think that that gets in the way of the significance of the threat that he is i think mm-hmm. and he's just not in the movie much <laughs> that's the other thing. Yeah. oh yeah yeah, right. I, I've never thought about that, but that, I mean, the, most of the focus was on the interpersonal relationships of the Guardians themselves, uh, but I've never once thought about, like, yeah, I guess he doesn't really show up as mu- that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to jump in here and answer the question for myself, uh, you know, I when I honed in on this question, I think I was looking for, like, okay, where did it get consistent that whenever you'd go to see an MCU movie or an MCU TV show that the villain wasn't going to be up in the air about um, whether it was a complex character or whether it was just uh, an obstacle, as we kind of put the the one-dimensional sides of the characters earlier. Um, and I think I had to go with Captain America Civil War uh, with Zemo because I think he hits two of those check boxes for me of what I'm looking for in the archetype in that he's a villain you understand because he lost everything in mm-hmm. in Sokovia after the events of Age of Ultron. So you understand why he's doing what he's doing. But I also think he is also the manifestation of the thing the protagonists are facing. Uh, he is the physical manifestation of the rift between the Avengers. And the fact that he gets to be that spike that further drives them apart and wins in a way, even though he's captured, I think that was the start of the MCU really diving into their complex villains. Because uh, you have Zemo, uh, from there you get Ego, Vulture, Hela. I mean, the list goes on. Like they, they really started knocking him out of the park uh, after uh, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's another villain behind a villain, right? Because Winter Soldier is the ostensible threat in that movie. But it's mm-hmm. Zemo who's pulling the strings, and again, yeah. also not in the movie much, right? Yeah, yeah. Compared <laughs> yeah. compared to Bucky, anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Right, he's not. Yeah, and it's interesting because he's leveraging the image of Bucky for most of it, like because Bucky's just trying to keep to himself, and so it's not even like you know Bucky's out there causing terror. It's not until he gets his his command words reiterated. But yeah. Well, and for me, Civil War is one of those where you have, well, like you said, the multiple villains, the villain behind the villain trick, but e- even with with those two, it's, for me, the overarching villain in Civil War 
was Tony Stark. Conception. Conception. What did you, did you say? Tony Stark. <laughs> Tony Stark. Uh, I heard that. I heard that. Uh, well, we know which was, was side consen- Trey is on, don't we? <laughs> the Civil War. Yeah, the wrong side. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, like, but but it's more conceptual, right? There is that philosophical battle between them two, and and so. Zemo being even pulling the strings behind Winter Soldier, all of that is is a manipulation to stage that that philosophical debate between both sides. Yeah, and I might have misspoke I'm, when I'm talking about the villain behind the villain Zemo. I'm talking about Winter Soldier, not Civil right. War. Although yeah. that does yeah it completely carries over for sure. That the scene where they capture him basically. And he talks about his family dying. That's in civil war, right? Yeah. Okay. It's at the end of civil war, right? Right. Zemo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that Zemo and him manipulating winter soldier, you know, in behind and doing all that manipulation is the, the, well, like that, that distinction between story and plot, right? Mm. Like the story of Civil War is about the that philosophical signing or not signing and which one is right. Yeah. I have written and, down in my notes, just to your point, the villain of Civil War is secrets. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. It's, yeah. it's miscommunication. Yeah, well, and, it's almost a sitcom setup. Now, like sitcoms are always about mm-hmm. characters, you know, miscommunicating. Like if, if you're, if you, <laughs> I guess I'm going to date myself, but like uh, Three's Company was always about like somebody half hearing a conversation, having a completely wrong conception of what happened, and then that being the conflict of the show. And that's like a sitcom, like comedy conflict trope that's been used like a bazillion times. And that's really what the problem in Civil War is, I think. Mm hmm people not talking to each oh, other yeah. right and keeping secrets yeah. from each other yeah i i think you have given me a new lens at which to appreciate civil war like the <laughs> the villainous secrets and miscommunication wow that you just knocked me on the floor with that one which is a further step away from mustache twirling right it's a it's like yeah, you were saying yeah. it's a it's a positive step forward in complexity and a cinematic rendition of these comic book you know icons wait so so if that's the case, Tony in trying to have the conversation of why you should sign the accords and Cap being stubborn and not wanting to have the conversation makes him the villain. Mm. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> Nick said. I'm just here to start a fight. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's just funny that you referenced nick sandy's fight because he was here to mediate between us last time <laughs> oh, i'm no. the anti-nick well i'm here just to make you guys <laughs> just to <laughs> rub salt in the wound <laughs> we're gonna need you to get a uh a, a version of a theme song for us that we could use if it's just a, a fight heavy episode between you and i <laughs> I'm just going to record so, Sandy's theme backwards is all and just like, play it. Like <laughs> yeah. Well, no, what I, I, off of what you said though, I am going to go rewatch Civil War now. Mm-hmm. I, oh, wow. I like that, that framing. Yeah. I mean, I watched um, it not so long I'll be right, ago. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll be, 
<laughs> I watched it before WandaVision came out. So not mm-hmm. okay. not super recently, but not that long ago. That was like last mm-hmm. year, right? So in some movies, like I hadn't watched Avengers in probably two or three years. Because I wanted to catch up on the Wanda and, and Quicksilver stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was when it struck me. Like this movie is really it's it the the um the problem in this movie is secrets and miscommunication. It's 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 a sitcom. Yeah, <laughs> it's a sitcom plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. God, that's crazy. Okay, I'm re- I'm definitely rewatching it. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect distillation of it. It's just like just like Jude said. It's 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 getting further and further away from mustache twirling, which is the mm-hmm. one of the best things about the MCU is just the mm-hmm. how much they really are grounding these fantastical ideas. Oh, I mean, they deserve everything for the way that they adapted Vulture, the most comic booky character just in design mm-hmm. into f- something that feels menacing with Michael Keaton in Homecoming. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's wild. Well, and this isn't necessarily a Homecoming review, but, it, but just the use of reaching back and using the tech to make that, so because it becomes believable. Mm-hmm. Of the yeah the, it's a I don't lim- even think they I don't even think they called him Vulture. I don't the think movie. they do. No, I don't think he's wow. ever called Vulture, and he's barely no. even referred to by name. Like uh, Tombs, I think is the only thing that they refer to him. I don't know if anybody calls mm-hmm. him Adrian. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe his wife does. Like at one point, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's now almost go kept. Watch that. He's almost kept non-human. And again, mm-hmm. I'm 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 treading into a question we haven't reached yet, but. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> well, you know what? I feel like we're getting to the end of this, this section of the, the outline, but I want to throw this wrench into our conversation and see how much more this spurs conversation here. You know, when I, when I wrote the question, when did Marvel fix its villain problem? It was essentially what I was telling you about the moving away from the one note dimensional characters. Um, but when I was doing some further research right before we went uh, into this recording, something I stumbled on was another interesting perspective of the villain problem, and that was Marvel's tendency to kill off villains. So starting with you, JB, how do you feel about the villains that are excellent in execution but are unfortunately done away with before the movie ends? Well, Red Skull is the one that comes to mind first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and it was that that to me, I think, is probably at least in my own opinion. And some of this is just tainted by being a comic book reader. Red Skull is the 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 most underused villain in in the entire MCU because he's just he's such a massive threat in the comics. You know? mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because like yeah, he's a Nazi, which is bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You don't really need to pile on that, but he's like. Like Jude said, he's even worse. Like he's, he yeah. will kill other Nazis to get what he what he wants. I mean, he is he is a garden variety sociopath bent on on destruction and and domination. Uh, and I would have really liked to have seen a lot more of Red Skull, even in 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 an Endgame when we meet him in mm-hmm. uh, the the sacrificial planet. Do you guys remember the name of that? Uh, Vormir. Thank you, Vormir. When when we see him there, like I was convinced we were going to see him sneak out with them in some some way. Like I was <laughs> oh, waiting yeah. for him to find a back door out of that place like, somehow, because I just mm-hmm. I think the the Red Skull 
belongs in the MCU with as right. prominent a place as Thanos. Mm-hmm. At least on the street level, yeah. anyway. I mean, obviously, yeah. can't be the same. No, no, no I, I think, I think that that's that's completely fair when you think about, you know. Well, I mean, and I could be wrong, but like when I think about Captain America and in the Rogues Gallery, Red Skull comes to mind in the same way, you know, to use this Batman and Joker, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, so in, in that sense, in terms of like you said, the most misunder underused. Now it's interesting I, most of, that wouldn't be my my pick, but like that's a very strong case, and I, you know, yeah, well, somebody was actually can, I think can't argue against it. Reviewing a Captain America figure and was talking about the fact that Cap doesn't have much of a rogues gallery. Like Batman's got a you know, compared to Cap, he's got a, a oh huge a, a huge gallery. But Cap, even Cap's other biggest threats are people that work for Red Skull. Zemo mm-hmm. ultimately works for Zemo, right? Starts with Red Skull. Um, what's the other? The scientist with the his face and the Zola, Zola, uh, Arnim Zola. Yeah, yeah, works for Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Like they end up becoming solo threats of their own at different points in you know, in Cap's comic history. But they start out just as people that work for Red Skulls. He really is. Yeah. He's he is absolutely Cap's Joker for sure. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, Crossbones. He also worked for. He does work for Red Skull, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah. I yeah I do I really think so. And maybe some of that is because Cap was such a integral part of the Avengers, you know, that you can mm-hmm. you can name off all all of the many many Avengers villains as being Captain America villains. Yeah. And uh, I was just say Instructor. Baron Strucker, right? Another one mm-hmm. came out of the mm-hmm. the Red Skull camp. Yeah. So and I. I I think probably historically Cap's solo comics never sold as well as the Avengers comics for various reasons. So you you can, I think, make a very compelling argument that Cap's villains are, are all of the Avengers villains too. But as far mm-hmm. as his his street-level solo comic book or solo project villains, it's pretty much Red Skull and the, the his sort of underlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would love to have seen that expand out instead of him being you know, oft in uh, First Avenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being so excited uh, in Infinity War with that revelation of like, oh, the Red Skull's still around. But it was just, again, kind of that it's been so long that I didn't know how much they could utilize them more than what they did in that that entry. And who knows, the future is unwritten. And now that we're talking about multiverse variants and all kinds of other things and the potential of Secret Wars... You know, which Red Skull played a big part in oh, Secret yeah. Wars in the comics. So the, I, I mm-hmm. doubt the, we've seen the eighties one. Yeah, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Doctor Doom, which will I assume we'll see in in the next couple of years. I expect we see at least some reference to or hint about Doctor Doom. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I would have I'd, like, and I know. Tangents. Uh, yeah. I, 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 know I don't even know if that, I'm like, <laughs> sorry if I let this no, down a tangent. It's such a big subject. This, this it's is, so much. Yeah. So many places well, to go. Well, with it. It, no, it is so many places to go with it. Cause like, um, you know, we know John Watts is going to do fantastic four. Right. And, so and Kevin Feige is not a big fan of recycling old villains. 
you know, and, and what I mean by that is like, I'm going to use homecoming and far from home. We get vulture, you get Mysterio, you get in homecoming, shocker, tinkerer, you, you know, but if you look at who was in, you didn't get anybody out of the Raimi or, um, amazing Spider-Man universe, you know, and, and either one of those two. And so just looking at that, I don't imagine, and like, and then projecting into like Fantastic Four, X-Men, I don't expect to see Dr. Doom in Fantastic Four. Wow. At least not, at least not yet, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause we've already seen him done twice. Right. I think, you this, know, and yeah. yeah. Have you guys so heard the Easter just, egg, the Moon Knight Easter egg, possible Easter egg? N- no. So I think I know what you're talking about, but go ahead. So this is, I mean, I didn't, this has been reported a few different places. Like everything always talks about a lot. And, uh, I forget. Uh, oh yeah. Everything does. Yeah. Um, I forget who else, but it's, I mean, it's, it's been reported on all of the different speculation, um, shows and things, but, uh, apparently mm-hmm. when, when, um, Oscar Isaacs is driving the truck, Isaac, sorry, Oscar Isaac is driving the truck in the Moon Knight trailer. There's a sign behind him, and it's something. It's Von D, and then the rest of the thing is is obscured by like a box or something. And the people are saying, "Well, why would you put Von D anything anywhere in the Marvel universe if it's not Von Doom? If you're not referring mm-hmm. to, to Doctor Doom?" Mm-hmm. You know what? I I think that was mentioned in our Discord. Somebody put that in there. I'd have to scroll back through and look because I think Sean. I'm pretty uh, sure it was Fashion Jimmy, and Fashion Sean had Jimmy. the response. And Sean had a response uh, where Sean said he was convinced it wasn't, hmm. but 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 his reasoning why off the top of my head I don't remember. I'd have to scroll back through, or people can join the Discord and go look for it themselves. Um, join the Discord. Just saying. <laughs> Link in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think that's a strange way to introduce him, and I think that to me is the strongest argument against it. But I, mm-hmm. I do yeah. find like it's. I mean, if it's just you know, if it's Billy Van Dam or <laughs> something like that, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's a little yeah, it's a little close, yeah. you know. But I, I but, but know, see, okay, let let's speculate just a little bit on again in the villains realm, um, in Loki. We had he who must not be named Kank. Right. He we know he's he's coming back, right? Um, well, not that one, I guess. A variant in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Fantastic Four comes after that, and Kang is part of you know the Fantastic Four rogue gallery, so to speak. So, like that's that. Like again, to say like we know we have that. Um, and again, it's almost go back to your villain behind the villain thing of like, are we really going to see King the Conqueror and Jonathan Majors and the finale of Loki at Man of Quantumania and that's it? Right. I find that hard to believe. I do too. Um, and, and so that's why it's like, oh, well, I'm not convinced it's Doom in the first Fantastic Four because, again, Kevin Feige not wanting to do immediately what those two did. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to, this is something I was going to clarify earlier. I just, because we exist in this multiverse universe of the MCU, when you say there weren't Raimi villains in 
Homecoming and Far From Home, you're talking about new adaptations of those characters, right? Well, I'm just saying they weren't used. Like, yeah, it's almost like a, well, we got sort of like a wink, right? I mean, the, there's a there's a water monster, right? There's a sand monster. Like, I mean, in the trailers, people were like, oh, it's Sandman. Oh, it's Hydro Man. But that's not what they were. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, like in Far From Home. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. But but even the Hydro Man wasn't in. Right, right. He was not used before. In, in the others. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Sandman would have been. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I see your point, And obviously, there's. I don't think there there is any evidence that Foggy is is anxious to use characters that existed in previous canons, I guess. Although that's mm-hmm. a, a different discussion <laughs> at this point in history. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I agree though. I mean, it hasn't been that long since the last Doctor, uh, Fantastic Four movie. And uh, they, that movie didn't make full use of doom or any of the other characters. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I don't hate that movie. I just think it's like, it's mostly first act. You know, like it's yeah. it's a whole lot of time spent developing the characters, and then it's a little squashed action movie in like the last thirty minutes or something. It's it's just yeah. it's really out of balance. But I don't it's the first act, and we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, we're a superhero movie. We have to have a bit. You know, like it just it didn't. Uh, and maybe they were maybe the when they had that structure, they had a three a trilogy in mind when they were doing it. Like I, I don't know, but. But that I I would like that 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 logic makes a lot of sense to me that we won't see Doom anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But I'll be excited so, when we do because he's a cool character and he does <laughs> oh, yeah. like Red School. He deserves an MCU represent you know like a the MCU treatment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of my most anticipated villains of of the little comic book knowledge I have. I'm super excited for an MCU version of dr doom me too i mean if you do i mean let's just say for argument's sake that you do introduce him via this supernatural marvel world that we're building starting with moon knight and like you referenced in the last pod the the closing scene of eternals with with black knight and blade's voice Mm -hmm. one of the versions of doom we have not seen yet is the magic user doom ah right the the he was you know he was as brilliant a scientist as Reed Richards you can argue but he studied magic as as uh, intensely as he studied you know science and physics and stuff so if we are going to get a doom maybe it'll be that version you know yeah I also we haven't we haven't seen world leader doom either which is an interesting take as well. Mm-hmm. He runs a runs a country. That's a that's a very cool villain to have to tackle, <laughs> especially in the ultra realistic, you know, uh, MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, tangent after tangent. <laughs> I know it's all right though. <laughs> we were talking about villains, right? We're somewhat on. Yeah. Topic. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to swing over to you, Jude, and get your answer. Do you think it's a problem uh, for the MCU? in terms of killing off villains in their movies. Mm, that's interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, again, I, I love the conversation we're having because uh, it, it recontextualizes a lot of things in my answers because part of me is like, initially is like, okay, yes, 
because you have this like sophistication of, of storytelling where, well, okay. So let's put it this way. There's a sophistication of storytelling where the villain doesn't have to die. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we can, well, I'm gonna take black Panther, right? There's a, there's a moment where with Wakandan technology, we know Killmonger could have lived, right? Like, like I think that's a reasonable thought. And, and, and you have that fight, but you should think the, the mustache twirly type vi- villain where it's Iron Man, Iron Monger, I am essentially fighting my shadow self. Th- then yeah, for the character to move on and grow and overcome killing that villain is squashing that shadow self and he, the villain must necessarily die. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, t- I mean, that goes a little bit too far. Return of the Jedi. But, um, it, you know, because Darth Vader dies, but it wasn't because of Luke. Um, right. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the the protagonist, the hero, has to do the killing. But to overcome it, the villain has to die. So let's put it that way. Whereas, you know, like who's the villain in Ant-Man and Wasp and Ghost? You know, you didn't have to die. She didn't have to die and have a resolve to that story. So, so part of me says yes, because that's, it'd be cool to see Ironmonger again and be able to bring him back or, you know, and, and, but like, that's a disservice to that movie and, and the story and how it needed to end. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we shouldn't be killing this many vil- villains. And so, in in some ways, yeah, that's a problem. But in some ways, no, because narratively, it does and can make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which I so I hate to give like that ambiguous answer, but but no. I, I think it's it's but it, it comes down to what are the stories you're telling, and how what is that use of villain. And is the desire for the villain to continue because it's like JB mentioned with first Avenger of like, whoa, Red Skull was too big to get rid of all the, already. Or like if, it, if it's serving the story, then then you kind of got to do it. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's why. So it's like I'm not trying to, to sidestep it, but as much as like, like wh- what's what's the purpose? What's the story being told? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, again, 100% framed it as throwing a monkey wrench into this because I was taking my notes, felt sure-fired about what I wanted to say, and then some last-minute Googling right before we recorded, I stumbled across that article, and I was like, oh, crap. Like, this just throws, like, another <laughs> wrench into the quote-unquote problem of the MCU. And to go even further, one of my favorite MCU movies was the catalyst for why they wrote the article. Uh, they claimed killing Winwu was the... Uh, another manifestation of that problem the MCU is having. And I'm kind of in that space with you, Jude, where I personally felt like that was, you know, part of the story. That was what was needed for the story they were telling. But I can also see their point of like, if you don't give these villains room to grow, and in this case with Tony Leung giving such an incredible performance as Winwu, you just kind of miss out on seeing them grow 
as much as we see the heroes grow in the MCU. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. line that you have to tread is how do we do this in a way that makes sense and not just like, oh, well, this villain broke out of the raft again kind of thing. Like it actually, there has to be some sort of developmental plan for them, for them to continue past their movie. And I don't know how much foresight is given to that map as much as it's given to the heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have. I figure uh, I'd give us some fun. <laughs> I actually have uh, Killmonger listed as an unsympathetic villain hmm. because 100% can you can um, relate to his point. It's a it's a very strong point, but he doesn't turn until he's about to die. And in that case, if he doesn't die, he just keeps trying to kill T'Challa. He just keeps trying to become king of Wakanda. He didn't get a have a crisis of conscience. He's he's just realized he's 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 done. He can't fight anymore. And then you you get a, a you know some indication of a turn or a conscience with Eric. I love that character. He's like one of my second favorite character, uh, villain. But mm-hmm. I think he just if he doesn't die, he just keeps coming at T'Challa. Yeah, yeah. He has to die. And it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. And you can probably make that argument with Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's wrapping up this center section of the outline. And I'm, I'm very curious to put into practice some of the things we were talking by these last two questions. Uh, so starting with me this time, we're zoning in on some of the villains who had the most wasted potential in the MCU. And man, I keep going back and forth <laughs> on who I want to ultimately go with. Uh, I really think I'm going to go with Justin Hammer as mm. far as a villain uh, that felt like they were really wasted. Uh, again, not to relitigate everything we talked about in our Iron Man 2 review, um, but this doing away with Justin Hammer by not really being too much of a focus in Iron Man 2 not seeing him again until the one shot where it was more just a joke. Um, yeah, it felt like there was so much more to mind there as having this character who was essentially Tony Stark, but without any of the lessons learned, I thought it would have been nice to have that as a running presence uh, in the MCU, which I know there's room for their potential to to appear in Armor Wars, but as of right now, that's the character that I think feels like the most wasted one. Mm-hmm. Not not to not not to forget portrayed by a brilliant actor as well. Yes. You know, oh Samuel yeah. Well. Yeah. Like, what a you you're yeah. almost talking about part of that is like wasting the actor, right? Like Sam oh, Rockwell yeah. is so good. We would I would have loved to have seen him a lot more. Sam Rockwell is the reason people want Justin Hammer back because there is nothing narratively yeah. <laughs> that makes people want Justin Hammer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Jude. What were you going to say? No, I'm just. I think that's a good choice. Like the and the good reason on Rockwell. Like he is I'm trying to think. I don't think I've seen anything with him in it that I didn't enjoy him mm-hmm. in particular, you know. Um it's fantastic. I'm restraining takes- myself from like suggesting fifteen Sam Rockwell movies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's he's just the best man. He's he's one of the, one of the top in, of in in his uh, age range for sure. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes a special level of charisma to play failed charisma because like he is <laughs> that's beautiful he is like <laughs> he Heck takes yeah. he's doing what tony stark is doing but just has enough of a tweak on it to just make it not work and loathe him so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah layers so, <laughs> so uh what about you jv which uh which villain would you pin as the most wasted potential well thankfully i already talked about this so we can shave off a little bit of time here <laughs> <laughs> red skull 100 percent. yeah you know and I, I i don't like i guess um what's his name hugh what's the actor's name agent smith oh hugo weaving hugo weaving thank you or ross marquand depending on when you uh right <laughs> pick up on the right, red skull right um hugo weaving i guess there was maybe he didn't want to come back i feel like i remember hearing something about that and and i wonder if if that didn't contribute to, to him dying in that movie. But uh, even if it had been another actor, yeah, I would have, there's just so much in the comics uh, around the Red Skull, particularly as a living uh, antithesis of Cap. You know, he, he is, mm-hmm. he's Cap's mirror reverse in just like every way, which, yeah. which that's, that's juicy stuff. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm with Jude in, in thinking that, there's and Feige is right in the sense that there's so many other villains that you know I mean we barely scratch the surface of Kang and there's so much to do with, with Kang and so we don't need mm-hmm. to pull Red Skull out of the ether like right this year or anything but I do mm-hmm. hold out hope that somewhere down the line he, he comes back in some form mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a great pick yeah, him coming back in Infinity War is the excitement that I felt uh, in that moment is, is I think, credit to what you were saying of, of that wasted potential to have that significant of an impact all these years later. And how great would it be if he came back mm-hmm. as a rival to Sam? Mm-hmm. You know, to Sam to, mm-hmm. to Sam as yeah. Captain America. Because mm-hmm. he's almost like, I mean, Sam already is slightly out of his depth. You know, he's an entirely capable superhero, but he stepped into big shoes. And if you're facing, oh yeah, you know the Red Skull, your first year as Captain America, like that's you know that's a uh, fighting from underneath, as they say in wrestling. Like you're 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 way overmatched and mm-hmm. overpowered, but it makes for a fascinating bout. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what about you, Jude? Which uh, which villain had the most wasted potential in your opinion? Red Skull is a good pick, and. It's interesting. We talked about the the involvement of the MCU and villains. I feel like you can make an argument for almost any of the Phase One films. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Avengers aside, because of Loki, right? But but just the the, the solo films. Uh, you can make a good argument for almost any of those. We mentioned Ronan. Hmm. I'm going to say Ultron. Ooh. And and the and the reason why is, uh, you know, there's a little bit of comic thing of like what what he what he is in the comic, um, but he is a I, I feel like Red Skull, uh, what what JB was saying about Red Skull Ultron, you know, is a that level of threat. He is not. I mean, clearly, when when we're saying 
uh, cosmic. It's not necessarily, we're talking about scale. Like he, he is the cosmic scale. He's not street level, you know? Um, and so to, to, uh, is he a group movie worthy? Yes. Um, but you could have given him a Thanos treatment in a, in a two-parter, you know, um, because of what you can do with him and the, and the idea of using the internet to, to move around, um, using the, the vibranium, you know, and just being that outmatched, um, and so, yeah, so like, I, I'm going to go with that one. He was my second Ultron. Yeah. And I almost said him okay. instead of Red Skull for all of the reasons that you just listed. <laughs> yeah. Age of Ultron yeah. in the comics is brutal stuff. It's really scary, big, huge cosmic stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, even I'm thinking just the, the cartoon. Yeah, um, what if? Yeah, it was the, yeah. The, well, yeah, what if? But even before that, like, I, I love the Avengers or Smittiest Hero run, that two season oh, run. Gotcha. Because it's it, it follows the comic very closely. And and what they are able to show of Ultron and just that is like he is I feel like a far bigger threat than what the movie showed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was one of the great things about What If is that we got a little mm-hmm. bit more Ultron and a, and a, and a like yeah. a, a look at exactly what you're talking about, like a look at just how mm-hmm. big a threat he could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the common joke leading up to that expansion of his character and What If was that the age of Ultron was only like a few days in the MCU and it didn't really mm-hmm. quite live up to the title yeah. of the character. Yeah. But even like for everything you both have said about what makes Ultron an amazing villain and a potential for the wasted character, I mean, James Spader's voice alone, mm-hmm. like what he created for that character to only appear once in the MCU, mm-hmm. even counting What If because they got a different voice actor man, you could do so much more than what they did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think about the trailer where the, and I know it's Disney and like, okay, the Pinocchio thing, but but the really clever use of the have no strings. That's exactly what I was just, thinking, Jude. <laughs> yeah, like, right before just, you spoke, it, I almost like, sang just, the little like, there are no strings on me. You know, like, yeah, like, it, like, like just that, how menacing that trailer made it feel. And then... It just uh, now. Don't get me wrong. I I think I like Age of Ultron better than most. Me too. Um, but it's yeah, like yeah, Ultron was was kind of misused, mm-hmm. kind of wasted a little bit. Well, oh, I hold on. I'm gonna honorable mention one. Okay, uh, Hella, and the only reason why I say that is, um. Because you got, yeah, because you got Kate <laughs> Blanchett. Like, you know, like, like to see more of that would have been great. She's one of my top five favorites. Mm-hmm. Well, JB, I want to give you a chance. Do you have any honorable mentions or should we move on? For underused? Underused, yeah. No, not really. <laughs> I thought mostly about Red Skull and Ultron. And the stuff that I didn't say, Jude said about Ultron. So other than that, I mean, I, there are probably characters I could 
make an argument for. I have a, I have an honorable mention as far as uh, favorite villains. Oh, cool! But not underused. Okay. No, not yet. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna throw to you next. So let's go ahead and jump into who is your favorite MCU villain. Uh, so go, going back to the beginning of the podcast, when I dared to say I disagree with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Here it comes. Uh, Adrian Toomes, the Vulture, is my favorite villain in the MCU, and mm-hmm. it was it was close. I like Thanos a lot, and I like Killmonger a lot. That's probably my top th- four, I guess. But like I said, I like. Personally, I like acknowledging, I think there's, you know, like I, you know, moral, moral relativism is like important and to not see things as binary is important. No scientist ever got, you know, discovered anything great by thinking in black and white. But I think there are sociopathic people in the world, (laughs) people that you can you can pinpoint as evil. And I think Adrian Toomes is an evil dude. And I don't, I don't buy his justifications. Like his, mm-hmm. his, he, you know, he talks about his family a couple of times. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but he talks about his work more. And when he says his work, he means his money. That's really what Adrian mo- motivates Adrian. And we get, and I think like the most telling scene is the very first scene when he punches that guy. Which is a mm-hmm. overreaction, son. <laughs> like, <laughs> I understand how angry you are about you know having the government take this contract, you know, take your job away. You are justified in being angry, but to punch the dude right then and there shows you have some problems that existed mm-hmm. before this problem. Further on in the film, you know, where he makes that he says a, a couple of times about you know you mess with my family, blah blah blah. I don't buy it. I don't. I don't believe that's his real motivation. Yeah. I think his real motivation is power and wealth. He loves that big house mm-hmm. that he's got. You know, he loves the power that the suit gives him. And when he turns around in that car to Peter, to fifteen-year-old prom attending Peter Parker, baby-faced Peter Parker, and says, "You know, if you interfere in my business again, I will kill you. I'll kill you dead." I will kill you dead. I will kill you dead. A line only Michael Keaton could deliver. Right? And see, and I, and we'll, I was going to get to this, but like we briefly discussed it when I co- when I co-hosted that Jude and I are on the same page when it comes to Michael Keaton, and that mm-hmm. he is a complete mm-hmm. and total badass. <laughs> He's just brilliant. <laughs> oh yeah, in everything he does. He's my Batman. Still. Yeah. Like, let's get nuts. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. He's he's my Batman. So, oh, I love that scene. Right? Yeah. That to me is that that's that's yes he is. He is Please. He's Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. He's perfect in both roles, which I think you, like, I've heard people argue, you know, Christian Bale was a good Bruce Wayne, not a good Batman, vice versa. You know, I've, I've heard people, and I think there's, mm-hmm. there's like, uh, there's something to that. Um, and I think Michael Keaton inhabited Bruce Wayne and Batman perfectly. Because Bruce Wayne would have to be a little bit nuts to dress up like a bat mm-hmm. and go kill people at night, you know? <laughs> Um, oh, I, I'm 100% on board with you on that. <laughs> yeah. So when he turns around and threatens Peter, to me, that is maybe, I mean, that is more menacing than anything Thanos did. As much devastation as Thanos caused, there was always like a softness to Thanos. There was, you could see, you could sympathize with Thanos, which is a weird thing to say, 
I, I could I could understand Thanos's um, justifications better than I can Adrian Toomes's. And when he turns around to a fifteen year old boy, <laughs> says, "I will kill you dead," <laughs> you know, that's menacing mm-hmm. as hell. Like that is that is pure evil in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, one of the examples of that you were going to reach for and just to, to bolster your point more when he kills that guy oh, right? and he even so like, Oh, I thought, I thought it was the uh, anti-grav gun or whatever. <laughs> right. Even if that was his reason, he was totally cool with it. Right. Like, he didn't blink an eye. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like I don't, and I, I believe that he, he meant that when he said that, like, oh, I thought it was the other gun, but you're right. He's completely unbothered by the fact that he just disintegrated a dude. Mm-hmm. Completely unbothered by it. And that, that's sociopathy. Like that, he's he's got a deep, deep mental illness. I mean, you know, from a yeah. sympathetic standpoint. Like and that problem if that was the f- Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say it makes you wonder if uh that was the first person he killed or if that was just the first on screen kill. Right. Right. Who knows? You know, I mean he and he was he was a guy looking for a fight before the fight ever began. Yeah. That's what makes him scary to yeah. me. Yeah, that's an excellent pick. And so to as far as my honorable mention, Sonny Birch. Ooh, okay. In Ant Man. Played wow. by the brilliant Walton Goggins. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of my favorite mm-hmm. actors, one of my favorite character actors. And I love Sonny Birch because we didn't we don't see that archetype often in the marvel universe he is a 100 percent opportunistic scuzzy businessman <laughs> he is uh-huh. he's there for the money and only the money and if he kills people fine but it's like it's not a i don't think he gets joy out of inflicting violence the way tombs does it's just whatever he's got to do to get rich and you know it's uh-huh. it's the performance of walton goggins and the fact that i don't think we really see that kind of villain very often in the Marvel universe, you know, and the mm-hmm. fact that he's, it's played mm-hmm. somewhat comedically. It's like, he's a standout for me. I yeah. kept yeah. thinking about him when yeah. I was thinking no, about that, like, honorable mentions. You're right. That is a really, really good description of it. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, whenever this episode was pitched, did not expect Sonny Birch to be brought <laughs> up into the conversation. And I, I'm glad you found a way. And I mean, you've given good reasons why. Yeah. He's a bit of a curveball, but yeah, I, I, it was, uh, I was I didn't rewatch that film, but I was like looking at the wikis of all the films and the villains. And when I saw his name, I was like, you know what? I love Sonny Birch, and, and here's let me figure out why. Mm-hmm. And he's still around, right? I mean, he might be in prison, but like, there's conceivable we could see Sonny uh, again. Right? Yes, he is definitely still around. Oh, absolutely. They they have definitely left some breadcrumbs. Not only for the fate of where he ends up, but as far as like what he was doing, because it was very mysterious who his quote unquote buyer was. Right, that he was brokering between the the Pims and the mm-hmm. buyer. So they're doing something yeah. with him for sure. Even if we see him yeah. in in the Justin context Hammer. of like <laughs> Justin Hammer, <laughs> even if we see him in like a Disney Plus street level deal, if we see him, you know, mm-hmm. making deals with Kingpin or something like. I'll go on the record now. I would now. just love to see Walton Goggins again. I'll go on the record now. I would not be surprised if he shows up in Armored Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would make me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jude, uh, what about you? What's your favorite MCU villain? And if you want to throw in a, a honorable mention as well, you can. Okay. Um, Malekith. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Sorry. Uh, I, I'll be 100% honest. I've seen that movie twice, and I do not remember mm-hmm. the villain. Um, anyways. I almost um, rewatched it, and then I thought, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. No, Branagh didn't do that. Al- that's the other thing. Alan Taylor did that. In, oh. And if you look, Alan Taylor that's Dark World, has right? done some good stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, he did, yeah. Anyway, if you look it up, he did some really good stuff. Like in, um, uh, oh my gosh, um, I can't. I'm blanking. Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Yeah, and like uh, Game of Thrones, Oz, uh, you know, The Sopranos, like okay. West Wing, uh, like Six Feet Under, Deadwood. That's Lost, like, Oh, Deadwood. Like he has actually, um. He he directed the pilot episode of Mad Men. Like, oh, wow, yeah. And 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 if you look at what the his Game of Thrones, I have it up actually. It's the episodes: Baylor, the Fire and Blood, the North Remembers, the Nightlands. Like season one, season two stuff. Uh, Valar, Mor- I'm saying it wrong. Valar Morgulis, Mor- that episode. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. I mean. Like, I remember when they announced it, how excited I was of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be, and then we got what we got. Uh, (laughs) So, no, in all seriousness, I really love what you said about Vulture and I, and I've bounced back and forth between Vulture and Killmonger. Hmm. Um, Killmonger is my second. And, and, well, it's interesting because like, I am not... I'm not a fan of Breaking Bad. Um, Hot and, take. And I'm I'm going. There's a reason I'm bringing this up. This isn't a tangent, but and and because my thought on Walter White is exactly how you were describing Tombs, hmm. of just like he was a sociopath from the beginning, and that I just I didn't get or enjoy watching a sociopath just be a sociopath. You know, um, you don't do that without being a sociopath it, 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 the, the idea that he became one was j- just it's, lack of a better term dumb um that's a strong point i've never heard anybody make that argument before but that's not easily argued like that's a i i, I think that's a super strong point um so so i i just so hearing all that and and it does make me rethink tombs um because yeah, I, I kind of I thought I was like, yeah, I, I get I get here's your motivation and stuff, but you're right, that was an overreaction. Hmm. So I go back so that's really good. So <laughs> I think you just Thanks, blew up man. dude's list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did, because like I keep going back and forth between the two and like I and like and I liked I get, Eric. I was gonna go with kill I never yeah, liked I was gonna go with Killmonger. Yeah, I, I liked Eric. Like I, you know, aside from all the horrible things he did, I would hang out with Eric Killmonger and be friends because there's just a there's so he his rationalizations are strong. I don't mm-hmm. think Tombs is are. I think Tombs are like you say. He's ultimately a sociopath. He's ultimately motivated by power lust. So I'm I'm gonna say this. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and stick with Killmonger. As as much as I love what you said about tombs, and I I'm gonna say you're right. <laughs> I'm gonna stick with Killmonger, um, just because not only do I think it's my favorite, I think it's 
and I like tombs a lot. I feel like that's the one most people point to of this is while I don't think this is where it's fixed, so to speak, because I, I cited homecoming. Um, you think that Killmonger is the one is, most people point to? I feel like the one that's the one most people point okay. to um, as fixing the villain. One of my influences on this is I the YouTube channel Just Right that I like, and he does a video on this, and he talks about how in Black Panther they're able to show both the protagonist and antagonist grow by the end and and change each other. Um, and I think that's what makes him. And and I agree with with that video essay, and and so the idea that that they both by the end have character growth. You call um, that dialectic, right? Yeah. Where two yeah. opposite and, things change each other. Like that's, yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's, so as much as I love everything you said about tombs, I, I have to stick with Killmonger because of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say after all of this conversation, what's going to sneak in is my honorable mention. It's General Ross from The wow. Incredible Hulk. And A, I've rewatched it recently with my oldest um, as we're slowly going through the MCU at a very like turtle pace. But as I think about that and we talked about who the villain is and conceptually and all that stuff, like if it wasn't Banner in a way and Hulk is a villain, in that he is a true threat to society as Hulk. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Oh yeah. Like he's Jekyll like, and Hyde. Especially right. And and especially at that point, like until the end, so to speak, and even not that, you could maybe argue until Avengers, he doesn't really have this under control. You know, and then how far do you want to push it to smart Hulk, right? And so Ross and his motivation of like in a position of wanting to be in a job where you're protecting society from this threat, but also have your ulterior motives of what you want to do because your own search for power and, and what you think you should do. Like I can see him in that, that total war mentality. We're going to do whatever we need to do to win a war. And so that's why I want this and military property, you, you know, kind of kind of justification and 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 in a weird way from like a public pr you know point of view it's like yeah you go get him stop the hulk because he's going to tear down our city um but we as viewers don't think Mm -hmm. of it that way you know and and so that so there's like a little clever twist to me in him being bad but in quote-unquote normal circumstances Mm -hmm. wouldn't be um so yeah, so that's so thinking about that whole conversation, I'm going to go with that for an honorable mention. That's a great poll. He's a little bit Colonel Kurtz, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, the the reasons he's pushed as far as he is is because he's sort of seen the worst of man, right? And he's just become almost the thing that he hates. He's just willing to go to any extreme to to enact what he considers justice. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I I like that a lot. I honestly like didn't even. I didn't even think about the Hulk movies, guys, because I didn't think about them. In, <laughs> Neither in does canon. the MCU, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's changing, though. That is definitely changing. 
Well, I, I think it's come back to me uh, as far as my favorite villain goes. Uh, it's Captain America. <laughs> wow. Okay, now we know what side you're <laughs> on as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I have Killmonger and Vulture uh, at three and two respectively. But number one, probably no surprise, I'm, I'm going with Winwoo. Um, that movie is still had such a huge impact on me. And, and I've said it, I think every time I've talked about this movie is that that movie works because of Winwoo. I think it is a shining mm-hmm. example of trying to understand your villain and, and doing so much legwork to make him work and bring out the best in Shang-Chi as well. Um, and I mean, it's so much of it's laid on the performance of Tony Leung as well. Uh, so whenever I, I think about the MCU, I think he is the benchmark for me in terms of villain because he's formidable. Uh, he has probably one of the coolest powers I think see I've seen depicted in the MCU with the rings and the way he was able to be such a blunt force. Um, and I'll, and on the, the flip side, I don't think I'll ever shake the image of him in my head whenever Shang-Chi is trying to plead with him. Like, you know, I wish mom was behind that door, but she's not. And he's just like silently shaking that head because he can't, he can't accept that truth like that. That is so often the downfall of the villains is the inability to see the truth. And so that right there, I think, is what solidifies him as one of my favorite villains in the MCU. Well, I'm glad you went to one of the newer things because mm-hmm. um, hey, there was a struggle for me thinking about the newer things and like what if is is kind of complicated because of the way it was made and. What villain do you pick? Did it have an overarching villain? What kind of did, kind of didn't. You know, we get into that Wanda's overarching villain was dealing with grief. You know, like like you just didn't have overarching villains in the, in the traditional sense mm-hmm. yet uh, in, the, in the Disney Plus shows. Uh, I'd even argue in, the Black, in Black Widow because I thought about Black Widow mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, you have Dracoff. He's really just this personification of like misogyny and patriarchy. Um, and you know, rather than, so it's still conceptual to me instead of like you yourself as a villain. Um, and he's another villain behind the villain. Yeah. His taskmaster is an immediate threat, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, well, you, well, and again, it plays into that themes of the, and I know people didn't like it. I loved it. It made sense that Taskmaster was female, his daughter. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, cause again, if he's, if, if he's the personification of this misogyny and patriarchy mm-hmm. and like, that's who Castmaster must be. Um, it makes narrative sense. It was, it was wonderful. Well, like I said, I, that was my favorite the 2021 movies. So I, I am glad you, you went that way. Cause even Eternals, like it didn't, the overarching villain wasn't a thing or, or a person, so mm-hmm. to speak. That's the, I, I considered that with uh, Dr. Strange as well. Cause mm-hmm. Dormammu is mm-hmm. the ultimate villain in that, but he's, he's a big floating head. You only see for <laughs> the last 15 minutes of the movie. Well, whatever. I'll go ahead and jump in here because uh, my honorable mention comes from Dr. Strange. And there is a part of me that wanted to say Dormammu, but what, what makes him special 
It's not necessarily the villain itself, but the creativity at which the problem is solved and what that brings out of Strange. Um, so my honorable mention is actually Caecilius, because uh, I talked about how an archetype of the of, of villain that I like is being the failed version of the protagonist's task. I mean, Caecilius is no different in Strange in that the only fault he had was he fell to the allure of the dark magic and Dormammu. Like, Doctor Strange was pushing in those same boundaries as well. And we found out the, uh, the Ancient One was doing the same thing to prolong her life. So... Caecilius, I don't know if he gets the work done in the movie to make him on the same caliber as the other villains we've talked about, but there was a nugget of something there. And so that's why for me, he's an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Another um, another uh, character where the actor is such an important facet of it. Mads Mikkelsen is yeah. just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he carries well, and- a lot of what is, I think, arguably a pretty thin character. Yes up until like you get later on in the film. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say like, there's that, that he could have been in the conversation of the wasted villain. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't know a couple of things. I don't know if Dormammu fits the villain behind the villain because I don't think at least the way I remember the movie Dormammu wasn't himself using Caecilius to get here. It was Caecilius using Dormammu. That's a good point. Right. And then, so to get, you know, to get past Caecilius, I'm, I'm going to go to a source and outsmart you. But like, if you watch some of the deleted scenes, there's some scenes that I don't know if it was length of time or what, why I didn't get out of there that I think would have, it wasn't a lot, but, but it would have filled out. And I don't think he would have felt as thin. Um, when you watch, because yeah, watch the deleted scenes and you're just like, oh, why did they cut this? Like this helps him so much. Um, so and it, and again, it wasn't a lot, but it was just enough. Yeah, yeah. And I don't. I wouldn't even say like. I mean, I think he's he he was great in that film. He's a great villain in that film because Miles Mikkelsen is such a great yeah. actor. Like he he makes <laughs> up for some of the the thinness of the character, which is just in the script. But like he's a he's <laughs> a wholly I mean, he's good enough. You know what I mean? He's, I, I didn't need a yeah. Dormammu until I knew that Dormammu was mm-hmm. coming. Like he was a villain enough mm-hmm. for when I was watching that movie. Yeah. And it, it, and now I'm just gushing, but like when he screams liar at the ancient one at the beginning, it becomes so much mm-hmm. more rewarding on multiple rewatches, knowing his story and the way that it plays out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. To add to Trey's point about Winwu, he, he's one of the most, sympathetic villains in in the canon yeah i mean his motivations are some of the purest motivations for for doing bad stuff you're he's he's a he's a truly tragic villain Mm -hmm. and i mean maybe the most tragic villain i think you can make a pretty strong argument that thanos is a a tragic villain but uh we I'm going to go on that limb with you and say you can, but I'm going to agree with you on Winwu. Yeah. And and just because they give you his rise to power, his love that makes him set power aside and the, the loss of power and the grief of, or not the loss of power, but the loss of his love and grief and that makes him pick the power back up 
and direct that grief towards mm-hmm. his own kids. Right. Um, and then to see him in the end, another one of those, the villain and protagonist learn something yeah. from each other, you know? Uh, so yeah, so you're hundred percent dead on. Not to even mention the father son. Yeah. Which is oh yeah, super rich. You, uh, I've, if we had more time, we I would <laughs> talk more about ego because mm-hmm. like, even in Guardians Two, um, there's a lot there. Yeah. The the father and son there thing is. is there's there's so so much depth to that kind of thing. But I would say just for various reasons, one of them being it's it wasn't a uh, an ensemble cast really. Um, mm-hmm. You got you really got to feel more of that in uh, Shang Chi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in the end, that end sequence is the dialectic. There is beautiful, phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal. So yeah, I I think that's going to wrap up our favorite villains uh, in the MCU, which has been fantastic to get this sample size. But we're going to extend further. We did put out on social media asking for all of you, the listeners, favorite villains. So we're going to read through some of those here. Uh, starting on Twitter, we got this one from Nick Sandy, which reads Darren Cross. Uh, I think the thing I replied to him on the social media is like that suit alone is just worth a mention because even if it is falling into the the kind of not developed villain area, that suit carried up in that movie, in my opinion. Heck yeah. I loved Yellow Jacket. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, he could have gone into the underused category as well. Ooh. Like he's, that was a, he might've been a little undeveloped. I agree. But he just, in terms of like the power and the suit and the, the standoff at the end is that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mr. Melt on Twitter said Zemo. And, and it's funny because we talked about Zemo as kind of being that background and, and stuff. But it's the MCU, and we have Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and when you put all of that together, uh, yeah, he's a he's actually a really mm-hmm. good villain. Yeah, that, I think we we might have briefly mentioned the the speech he gives about his family. That's one of the the most human moments. Yeah, we talked about that in Civil War, but I don't think we brought up Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where you really get to 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 dig into to Zemo. And you finally do get to see him in the mask as well, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Daniel mentioned Ronan, which we talked a little bit about. And uh, I, I would include Ronan in the slightly underused category as well. He's particularly coming from a comics reader standpoint. He's There's a lot more to Ronan in the comics. And he is a, a major threat all on his own uh, without Thanos. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to mention a, an awesome suit. Oh, yeah. Well. It's a great character design, that guy. Mm-hmm. This one comes in from Ken, and I know I probably shouldn't play favorites, but I'm going to play favorites. It's my favorite answer. He put, in quotes, creative differences, the ultimate evil. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think uh, I responded to uh, to him with a gif of, of Ant-Man, because uh, I think that is within the MCU, one of the ones, or the most public creative differences in terms of the directors that were attached and ultimately became of it. Uh, but I thought I thought that was a creative answer on Ken's part. It broke up the Beatles. <laughs> That's pretty evil. Well, it broke up the broke up the Beatles. Sent off Edgar Wright. Sent off Scott Derrickson. <laughs> right. Uh, Patty Jenkins sent her mm-hmm. off too. Uh, she was she was actually in line to do, uh, I think Thor: Dark World. Yes. 
before Alan Taylor. So, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't think I knew that. That's awesome. can only imagine what that film would have been like if Patty had had her mm-hmm. hands on it. Uh, from Instagram, or IG, or Insta, depending on your age, <laughs> apparently, Marvel with Rid uh, said Hella. And yeah, that, well, first, Kate Blanchett, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool. Uh, and Trade, I've talked about this in various pods. It would have been really cool to see her drawn out, whether it was like Disney Plus, so you really get a long form. Um, or again, you could make a case of the, the, the Thanos two-part treatment. Oh, yeah. yeah. I agree. And she's one of those characters that she's on, I think she's my number three, and that the reason is because her motivations make a lot of sense, but she is evil. Mm-hmm. She she is brutal. Mm-hmm. She does mm-hmm. some horrible stuff. She's unequivocally a villain, but you can you see where she's coming from. It's rough to be cast out of your family right you know especially that's a that's a strong motivation i mean odin was completely fine with it whenever they were aligned on the same ideals but because he had a change of heart suddenly you know she was ostracized yeah oh yeah great great character maybe we'll see a a multiverse variant oh at some point that would be interesting right friend daniel (laughs) said loki and uh, we talked a little bit about Loki at the beginning of the pod and the fact that, especially early on, he's a he is a full-on villain. Mm-hmm. He's a scared. It killed 80 people in two days. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have well, the, the rehabilitation. <laughs> well, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's my brother. He killed 80 people in two days. He's adopted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, he, Loki gets, it, it's actually like, you can really see a lot of the worth of the MCU just in the character of Loki. Like how they successfully rehabilitated such an awful character. Made him, mm-hmm. you know, human, for lack of a better term, uh, in that in that series. The, the moment where Hiddleston sits down in Loki, and you just you see the weight of the guilt of all that he's done. You see him evolving mm-hmm. into a better human, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's awesome stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Man, I like your breakdown of that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your podcast. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. <laughs> uh, moving along, uh, another Instagram stories response comes in from TK, our friend over at There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, uh, where she says, shout out to Vulture. And again, I, I we've definitely covered him extensively here in this podcast. Shout out to Michael Keaton. Michael freaking Keaton. Yes. That's what else needs That's to be right. said. <laughs> hey, and you know, we didn't even think about this. He's still around in the MCU. So mm-hmm. it may not be the end of him. Yes. I, I'm holding out hope for some form of Sinister Six or, I mean, some, like a super villain team led by, by Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. I, hold on. Before I do my next one, I want to do a quick correction. With Hella and Marvel with Rid, uh, I forgot to mention, Marvel with Rid is the host of Eternally Obsessed podcast. Uh, completely missed that. Rid, I apologize. <laughs> wanted to get that in there. Um, Shout out to Marvel. Though, yeah. Uh, this one, though, um, comes from Cody Biscamp, and it's the government. <laughs> um, yeah. 
the government <laughs> is a villain in many, many ways, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Um, I ain't touching this know. one, guys. <laughs> I am not touching this one. <laughs> but uh, I see your point, well, Cody. It, uh, well, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting because you, you have the World Council. Um, and, and I'll just trace it really quick, right? Um, if you think through with the role the government and military played in Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2. Avengers. Um, they were going to nuke yeah, New York, man. Right? Avengers, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You know, it, it's Civil War. Um, as I really extenuated the S and we'll need a sibilance type there. Sorry. Um <laughs> Homecoming, you know, like the overreaction, yeah. but you have the Department of Damage Defense. Damage control, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Department of Defense, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the damage control. Empowering um, John Walker. Yeah. Yeah, like, like it's it, it has a long history. So, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one of the answers I was not expecting in the responses, and it it provoked a lot of thought, so good on Cody. Yeah, that's a good hot take. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Speaking of hot takes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Captioned life is is like me trying to start a fight between Trey and Jude. And I'm here for it. <laughs> Tony Stark as a villain. I feel like I should really throw this to you guys. And you don't you don't have to fight about it. But uh, uh Okay, Sean from the Caption Life Podcast, Tony Stark, villain. Um, wrong. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Tony's not cool enough to be a villain. You know what? <laughs> oh. uh, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go there with him and trying to think what context that would be. And so I'm, I'm going to be excited to hear. I mean, he's that, a, he's a, that, that logic. Um, he's a poop stirrer. I'm trying to not swear. <laughs> But like, yeah, he's an irritant. Tony Stark is an irritant for sure. Even in that scene in Avengers where they're being manipulated by the staff and, and Loki, it really just starts out as Tony mm-hmm. kind of being Tony, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I mean, right. if 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 that is some of what Captain Life is is talking about, I I can absolutely see that point. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, you could say that maybe in Civil War, like obviously you can call into question about encouraging the 15 year old yeah there's your not being be a honest. superhero child endangerment right like <laughs> yeah like man you gotta there's things you can point to but age I, of ultron I think we, mm-hmm. age of ultron oh, yeah yeah but to me i guess when you put the whole arc together like like we we're looking for moments and when you put the whole arc together all the way to the uh, to end game it, it's it's mm-hmm. a tough sell. So I'd, I'd be here to interested to hear yeah. your arguments. So let us know on that. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm sure I know he will. Uh, <laughs> and I'm excited to hear it. Uh, Instagram comments. The last one from Ben Maddie. Uh, I'm sorry, Ben dot Maddie. Killmonger. You understood why he did what he did, what he did, and empathized with him despite how extreme his methods were. Uh, Michael B. Jordan played his incredibly well, uh, or no, I'm sorry, played him incredibly well 
and his last words stick with you long after the finale or the, the final credits roll. Um, yeah, I'm, well, I, I mentioned this was my favorite. I'm right there with you, Ben. And that's something I'm surprised none of us mentioned. Uh, cause we talked about Killmonger, but the name Mike until now, the name Michael B. Jordan didn't mm-hmm. get mentioned. And right. he did such a phenomenal job. And I mean, it and it's one of the, an argument that he disappears into the character so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's one of those things where like JB mentioned, like narratively speaking, he had to die. And I don't, and I, I agree with that. Um, but the talent you lose moving forward is, mm-hmm. is huge. And, and to Ben's point too, he does have some phenomenal speeches. His, mm-hmm. his justification speeches might be the best of the MCU yeah. as far as a villain. Mm-hmm. Cause he, yeah. he, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's so charming. He's so compelling. He's such a persuasive, uh, orator that like, I mean, mm-hmm. if Killmonger had just been given a little bit longer, a little bit more time on this earth and you can see glimpses of it in the what if series, he could have done a mm-hmm. lot more damage. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So just to, to put a, a bow on this. I want to make sure we give justice to the speech we're talking about. Uh, this is the quote in the movie. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships because they knew death was better than bondage. And I'm right there with Ben. Mm. That was just echoing in me for days after watching Black Panther for the first time. It is mm-hmm. such that a is, huge yeah. line and such a performance yeah, from Michael B. Jordan. That is steak oh, and potatoes. That is a, <laughs> that is a philosophical meal right there. Mm-hmm. That's ah, such a, such, mm-hmm. such good writing. Plus yeah. on top of two brilliant performances, mm-hmm. just, uh, well, I, I mean, you want to talk about like spending an episode on a line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that uh, that's gonna wrap up the responses. So uh, I just want to go ahead and say for everybody that uh, reached out to us both on Twitter and Instagram, thank you so much for chiming in. It's always a great time getting to read uh, your takes on the topic that we have at hand. Yes, absolutely. And on that note, uh, I do want to say, JB, it's been a long time coming getting you back on this podcast. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fantastic discussion. I am. Uh, it has been nothing but a joy. And uh, we, we mentioned this in our little pause breaks, but uh, we probably could have gone another three hours. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's, yes. there's a lot of things that we didn't get to say. And, and just, um, it's just so easy to talk to you guys. I, the as a fan of the podcast not even as a as a guest or a co-host it's just such a welcoming space to talk about the stuff you know it's it's not heavy on the cynicism you know we can make our jokes about <laughs> dark world or <laughs> or whatnot here and there but like it's just uh it's just such a welcoming um good like positive spin on there's so much default cynicism in in the world of nerddom you know uh, and mm-hmm. it's just really refreshing to to come to a place where let's just throw around ideas and talk about our specific takes on things and change each other's minds. You know, like it's, I mean, that's it's been uh, an absolute blast, and I I can't thank you guys enough for having me here. And Jude, just 
to say again, it's been awesome having you here this time. <laughs> yeah. It's just been amazing. I, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And the gosh, the 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 interaction and just the 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 way you framed the way you frame things it just really forced me into you know questioning my own thoughts and from what i had uh, it it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. absolutely my great pleasure cannot thank you guys enough yeah anytime yeah. And of course, if you want to keep up with JB, uh, make sure you're following them on Instagram at JBLoveSAV. Uh, you can keep in contact with them there as well as some of their future work. As for this show, uh, if you'd like to comment on anything we talked about today in regards to the villains in the MCU, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we've been doing work to put up bonus content that does not make the final cut of the feed, as well as extra opportunities to help shape the show. So if you want to weigh in on whatever it is we're talking for that week, especially whenever Moon Knight shows up and we ask for listeners' takes on those episodes, make sure you're following us to help shape the show. Woohoo! Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. So pumped. So excited we're for so that. Definitely going to have you back on for Moon Knight since that is Too your rich. area of expertise. That's my boy. <laughs> While you're waiting for Moon Knight, roll down to the bottom of the show notes, click on the link to join our Discord, and start talking about Moon Knight speculations now, because we have those channels for it. But in order also to get there, make sure you click on the roll assign, click the I emoji, and have access to those. But the best things you could do for us, rating and reviews, sharing with friends, uh, help, you know. Build the community. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on the SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Jude and JB, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, JB. Thank you, Jude. We'll see you all next week. Okay, pause. Uh, we're getting pretty close to done here. I think the only thing left we have on the outline is the listener's favorite villains. Um, I wanted to just cl- check with you first, JB. Do you have a hard out? Do you need to wrap this up soon? or No, I'm only trying to be brief because we've been going for two hours now. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how long you guys gen- usually record before edits, but I mean, I could... I'm. I'm like I. I could go three more hours. I have no. <laughs> I have no hard out. We could make this a two episode discussion easily because there's things that I have yeah. written down that I haven't talked about. I mean, there's plenty of. I like. I could have gone off on Hella because mm-hmm. I have a lot. A lot of thoughts mm-hmm. about Hella mm-hmm. too. Um, but yeah. it's no. It's just about trying not to to drag you guys into a longer podcast than you want to do. Well, I appreciate that, but my schedule's completely, but no, there, I mean, I, I'm totally fine. This conversation has been fantastic. So I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't like, Oh, I got to get out of here kind of thing. So I got to pee a little bit, but that's (laughs) it. I I can hold it. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, we're in a pause and I have to as well. Uh, So if you want to step away for just one second before we wrap all this up, that is a perfect, I did you. This is the first pee break in recorded history with a guest. Is it really? Actually, it well, is, you're yeah. gonna put this in the end edits. Then we have to. This has got to be an outtake. You know what? I'm gonna make this official. I'm gonna join you. Be break. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I'm so proud to be a part of the first pee break <laughs> in MCU Need to Know History. Right on. Oh, man. All right, guys. See you All in right. a bit. Be <laughs> So, I poked my head in the bedroom. I was like, "We're almost done. We're we're kind of wrapping up." All three of us. All three. Oh, and say we we uh, poked my head in the the bedroom, and I was like, "Hey, we're almost done. We're getting close." You know, just let empty know. And I was just like, "It's like we all three need a pre break, uh, a pee break." <laughs> Am I? Too much information. <laughs> So. What are we laughing about? I heard laughter from my headphones before I put them oh, on. No. <laughs> Wait, who are you talking to if JB wasn't back? I, I just you. got back. Were you talking yeah, to... You, your head, you, you were mid... The air, too. That's funny. Uh, well, because you put your headphones... I thought you said I'm back, so I started talking I, to okay. you. Okay, well... So, basically, so what you're saying is you sat down and said I'm back without yes. your headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I put them on, and I realized my cord came unplugged. <laughs> but I could have sworn you were already talking before I jumped in. Regardless, well, like I was mumble, I was I was like talking slash mumbling oh, myself. Okay. Like I didn't, I didn't actually speak to a person until the person was supposedly <laughs> yeah. there. I was like, for a second there, I was like, I took too long pee, and these guys are like already talking and laughing at each other. Oh, <laughs> we continue no, the episode because without Jude you. was talking to no one. Yeah, <laughs> just like let's do another hour without Jason. <laughs> so no, just to, to I don't know if you want to retell that story, Jude, uh, about why we were laughing. Oh, oh, I was just I I popped my head because I'm in my closet, and so I in the in walk-in closet that you get to from the bathroom. So I just popped my head into the bedroom real quick and told my wife, I was like, "Hey, we're we are getting we're getting close, you know, about to wrap up," and and it's like all three of us just took a pee break and. My nine-year-old, TMI. <laughs> yeah. So, if this is the the post-credit of our podcast, people are gonna be either in your nine-year-old side or on our comedic side. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. You're gonna get some TMI comments. Uh, like we don't need to know about you guys. Social media. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're getting enough water. This is what we're saying to the world. Yeah, there you go. We are hydrating responsibly. <laughs> yep. <laughs>